I know Southeastern has a great heart, every classroom, a great commission classroom. Well, is every digital device a great commission device? Welcome to Christ and Culture, the podcast of the L. Russ Bush Center for Faith and Culture at Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. Here we'll explore how the Christian faith intersects all avenues of today's culture through conversations with leading thinkers. Welcome to the conversation. Welcome to the Christ and Culture podcast. My name is Benjamin Quinn. And I'm Nathaniel Williams, the editor and content manager here at the L. Russ Bush Center for Faith and Culture. We trust you had a great summer. We're excited for a brand new season of Christ and Culture. This will be Christ and Culture Season 3. And this season, our guiding theme will focus on formation. This You might call it Christian formation, spiritual formation, but formation in a holistic sense. We'll talk with a lot of fascinating guests on a wide variety of topics this season, but we'll seek to connect the conversations back to this notion of formation. In addition to having those Christ and Culture conversations, which are a staple of the Christ and Culture podcast, we're also having two additional segments this year. We're going to conclude every episode with an edition of On My Bookshelf. That's a listener favorite segment in which professors at Southeastern share books that they're reading right now. And then we'll also begin each episode with a brand new segment we're just calling Headlines, in which we'll look at some aspects of the headlines. When you scroll through your Twitter feed, you look at your newspaper, you watch the news, even if briefly, sometimes you'll see sports, you'll see news, you'll see pop culture, business. From a Christian perspective, we want to engage each of those angles. In fact, in today's edition, we want to consider the headline of the Supreme Court. So we'll talk to Jessica Pearl-Smith in our headline segment in just a minute. But some of you listeners may be wondering, where's Dr. Keithley? Well, he's fine. He's doing well. He'll make appearances here and there. But he's also on sabbatical this semester. So we want to let him uh, enjoy his rest and let him do his work. And uh, he'll still make appearances, but uh, he's not gone. Yeah, Dr. Keithley's around. He's doing well. He's writing a lot, speaking a lot, uh, teaching in churches a lot. Uh, So he will pop in here and there. Feel free to shoot him an email if you like uh, or even follow him on social media. He would love to hear from you. And now it's time for our segment called... Headlines. Over the summer, the Supreme Court delivered some major decisions, as you all know. Here to discuss in this week's edition of Headlines is Jessica Prohl Smith. Jessica has written uh, for a number of different outlets that you've heard before, including USA Today, The Christian Post, The Washington Times. Daily Wire, including our own Christ and Culture blog. She has 15 years of experience working in D.C. and currently lives in Cumberland, Maryland with her husband and two little ones. Jessica, thank you so much for joining us today on Christ and Culture. Thanks so much for having me. Okay, so to jump right in, the Dobbs versus Jackson case was no doubt the biggest ruling of the summer, arguably the the biggest ruling of quite some time, especially for evangelicals. Most of us know that it's a big deal, but what's the real significance of this decision? It is a big deal. It very clearly articulated that Roe v. Wade was wrongly decided and that there's no right to abortion in the Constitution. Just using a couple words from the opinion itself, like Roe was egregiously wrong from the start. Its reasoning was exceptionally weak and the decision has had damaging consequences. Far from settling the national debate, it's made inflamed debate, deepened division, made things worse. And so, yeah, the court articulated that it's time to heed the Constitution and return the issue of abortion to the people's elected representatives. 
That's what the Constitution and the rule of law demand. So now the American people have their work really and truly cut out for them. Most of that work is, is going to be occurring on the state level in the form of good policymaking, and then obviously also in the, in the form of ministry and work to change hearts and minds. So let me ask you about this. The, the pro-choice movement, one, one thing that they are very clever about is hitching their wagon to language that's hard to argue with. And then they know how to marshal it in very clever ways. So what just this morning driving in, I heard the language of reproductive justice. That's not the first time we've heard this, but reproductive justice. If someone just in the abstract asks you, are you for this? Well, it would sure seem like I want to be for justice of whatever sort. But what, what is meant by that? And what kind of things should we be listening for in the conversation now? The pro-abortion movement does generally a very good job of crafting the argument in, on their own terms. Uh, but a biblical understanding of justice is, is not going to end a human life, a separate human life. There are arguments based on scientific reality and not simply on moral or ethical arguments. So, so Christians can look to and point to the science and then can also come around and encourage women who are facing the consequences of sexual activity, who, who are facing pregnancy that they're not excited about, and they can offer resources. Um, there are several studies that show who, women who are supported and encouraged and surrounded by community are much more likely to avoid abortion, much more likely to carry their child to terms and to have the resources to take care of their children well. Yeah, indeed. We do have our, our work cut out for us, but never a better time, I think, for Christians in the church as a whole to step up in these areas. So the Dobbs ruling grabbed most of the headlines over the summer. Uh, the Supreme Court also ruled on some other notable cases. What are some, what are some key headlines that we should be aware of in terms of other rulings? Well, there's two interesting First Amendment cases that are, are going to be especially interesting to your audience. Uh, the first one's Carson versus Macon. Uh, it was a six to three decision penned by Chief Justice Roberts, and it ruled that the state of Maine cannot exclude students who attend religious schools from a government program in which they're otherwise qualified. So mouthful, that means Maine had prohibited families from using funding from a state tuition program. Uh, that program was designed for students who didn't have direct access to a public school. But then when some families wanted to send their children to a specifically religious school, the state said, mm -mm -mm, you know, separation of church and state and thought that was a problem. But what the Supreme Court ruled was that Maine, while it isn't required to fund religious education, it's not allowed to have a program or run a program like it did and then disqualify some families from choosing a private school solely because it's religious. So this is good. This is good news, uh, giving parents more flexibility to choose the education for their children. And if the state is concerned about money being used in directions it doesn't want, it, it, it needs to change the rules and, and not provide an open program like it did in Maine's case. And the second. Kennedy versus Bremerton School District. This was also a six to three decision. Uh, this one was penned by Justice Gorsuch. And this one was about Coach Joe Kennedy, a high school football coach who was fired for refusing to stop kneeling in prayer after football games. 
So the court's opinion was that the coach was praying as a private citizen and he wasn't, you know, representing the school or representing acting as an employee of the school district. So um, quote from Justice Gorsuch here, respect for religious expression is indispensable to life in a free and diverse republic. So yeah, basically the Supreme Court made it clear that the government can't weaponize or penalize individuals for exercising their First Amendment rights. And this is good news for Christians and for all America in the public school context and and well beyond. Yeah. Amen. So coaches, teachers, keep praying for your kids. Absolutely. There's another case that might also be of interest, and and that one's coming up um, in this next term. It's called 303 Creative versus Elena's. And I think it's going to be argued this fall, I didn't see the date posted yet, but Lori Smith is an artist who runs her own design studio. She's based in Colorado. So she creates graphics and website design and this may start sounding familiar. She's up against a Colorado law that would require her, if she's going to uh, create wedding websites would require her to celebrate or to create websites that affirm same-sex marriage. And that's just something that she declines to do. She she believes in, in the beauty of biblical marriage, and she has a whole lot of other causes that she wants to support. She's happy to work with all people from all walks of life, but she doesn't want to promote every message. So her her case is coming before the Supreme Court this fall. And that's one that that Christians should be aware of and pray for her attorneys and keep learning more. Absolutely. Jessica, thank you for the heads up on these headlines that have come out and even this one in Colorado that is forthcoming. We look forward to hearing from you again soon. Thanks so much for having me. So how should Christians relate to their devices? A most relevant and sometimes complicated conversation uh, that all of us are thinking through, regardless of, you know, whether you're a pastor, parent, coach, teacher, whatever you're doing, where Christians are wondering how exactly should we relate to these devices that are ever present, and in many cases, another appendage on our own bodies. To help us answer this question today, we are pleased to welcome Dr. Jeff Mingi. Jeff Mingi serves as regional strategist with the Southern Baptist Convention of Virginia. Jeff also holds a doctoral degree in ministry from Southeastern Seminary, and his latest book is entitled Digital Dominion, Five Questions Christians Should Ask to Take Control of Their Digital Devices. So five questions, really keen to hear those five questions. Jeff, thank you for joining us today. Dr. Quinn, thanks so much. I'm honored to be here. I'm, I'm a fan of Southeastern, uh, two degrees from there, loved, loved it. Uh, my wife and I spent our first year of marriage living uh, on campus in uh, seminary housing, and she worked for Dr. Bush. So I'm just, I'm honored to be here. Fantastic. It's it's always good to have an alum uh, and as well as a Southeastern fan on the podcast. So thanks for that. And thanks for your ongoing ministry. Let's jump, let's jump to the book. You've written extensively on sort of this intersection of Christianity and technology. First, why are you so interested in this? My interest in this topic and this book really came out of a paper written for Dr. Ashford in a doctoral seminar there at Southeastern. Uh, Dr. Ashford was helping us think through Western culture from a biblical lens. And so one of the textbooks that he had us read was Newbegin's Foolishness to the Greeks. And so Dr. Ashford really helped us think about these things and, and think, think deeply. 
he encouraged me as I wrote the paper, he encouraged me to keep thinking about this and to turn it into a book. So that's, that's where this book came from. And as I did the research, I noticed that this is really a discipleship issue. Yeah. And our, our devices, whether it's uh, using a, a laptop for an interview like this, a podcast like this, or it's a phone call or a text message or social media, all, all of these avenues of our digital devices, these are, these are discipleship issues for the Christian. And so I did the research and, and then I started thinking about it as, as, a, um, as a Christian, as a Christ follower, and uh, sort of like buying a red car, right? When you buy a red car, you look around and all you see is right, red cars right. everywhere. Well, all of a sudden now I'm thinking about digital devices and I'm just seeing them everywhere. You stop at a stoplight and look around and almost every person around you is looking at their phone. Um, Even and not I, at the stoplights, they're on their phone, but that's beside, that's another podcast. I, I, that's a whole other <laughs> podcast, but it's, it's a reality. So I noticed all these other people and how they use their devices and started to say, man, I, I hope I'm not like that person. Yeah. <laughs> right. The way the Lord works became uh, far more aware of my own digital habits than others. And uh, so I, I tried to approach the book from, uh, hey, I'm not an expert here. I, I'm, I'm, I'm a, a fellow pilgrim along the journey, and mm. I am far more concerned with my own digital habits than anyone else's. That's a little bit of, of where this journey of faith and technology has come from as, as I've been on it. So you, the, the subtitle of your book is five questions that every Christian should ask in order to take control of their digital devices. We might even call it a digital addiction or something along those lines. Tell me about these five questions. What, what are these five essential questions we need to consider? Sure. The book really is a primer. So it's a hundred pages. It's not overly complicated. And so we organize it around these, these five questions. Uh, the first question we ask is, am I in control? It's a question of who's controlling who. Am I controlling my device or is my device controlling me? You know, how, how quickly can your cell phone get your attention? That's kind of the, the heart behind that. And, and then we ask the question, how is this shaping me? If our devices have shaping influences and they're shaping our, our liturgies and our habits, as, as James K. Smith describes them, how is, it, how is it shaping me? And then after we ask the question of shaping, we ask, does this help me flourish? Our, our devices were created with a picture of human flourishing. And the reality is it's not God's picture of human flourishing, right? The creator of my iPhone did not say, okay, hold on, let me consult my Bible first. Yeah, um, he, didn't, and, he didn't create that thinking, this will make you more in the image of Christ or something. Uh, right, right. Um, neither did uh, Bill Gates when he said, I want to get a computer in every home. Yeah. Yeah. But that has very much shaped us. So they, they have this picture of human flourishing, said, man, humanity will really flourish if there's a computer, a personal computer in every home. Well, maybe, maybe. And, and then we, we go on to ask the question of wisdom. Can I discern wisdom and mm -hmm. folly? We really dive into the, the book of Proverbs and, okay, what does it look like to walk wisely with my digital devices, some, some wise practices? And what does a digital fool look like? Yeah. And how can I avoid that? And then finally, in chapter six, we, uh, we move from being passive recipients to purposeful users mm -hmm. for Christ's glory. Am I being missional? We ask some questions in terms of, okay, how can I use, leverage a digital device for missional purposes? I know Southeastern has a great heart, every classroom, a great commission classroom. Well, is every digital device a great commission device? Mm -hmm. Am I leveraging this device for 
missional purposes. So those, those are the five questions. Again, they're not complicated. I'm, I'm not necessarily asking uh, deep philosophical questions. I think there's an important part of that, but these are, how can we get a handle on our digital devices? Yeah. And it's, it's so good. I love the, the very practical and yet in-depth nature of these questions. I mean, this is every soccer mom and working dads who, who at least are taking seriously how faith informs their life. This is the kind of stuff we have to be asking. We And we may yeah. come to different answers or conclusions on it, but we've got to ask the questions. I love the way that you've already phrased those. So let me ask you this. You started out, you were saying that the way the way that we interact with our devices is a discipleship issue. So just this very morning, it's it's before six o'clock. Um, I mean, I've barely gotten the sleepy out of my eyes. I haven't even gotten my coffee yet. But there was a there was a, a person from my church who came to mind, and I thought I, I've been telling this person and sort of counseling them for a while. And I thought I want to text them this morning and just tell them I'm praying for them. And so I pulled out my phone, and as I was doing that, I was also reminded how much I wish I didn't have this this smartphone. Like I hate the thing. <laughs> if I'm being honest with it, I appreciate the versatility of it and the utility of it at times, but it drives me nuts the the sort of interruptions and those things. But I and I've even told some of my fellow pastors at our church, you know, I'm actually looking for a really good excuse to just get rid of this thing. I'm happy to go back to the flip phone. The razor was my favorite phone ever. And so I'm kind of thinking about that. But as I'm pulling my phone out this morning, I'm thinking about this very thing. You know, this actually does give me a chance to disciple a little bit. It's not the only way to do it. People have done discipleship for centuries without smartphones and our, our level of technology. But it does sort of bring the my thoughts about my phone a little, a little back full circle, perhaps, where, you know what, I really don't like this thing in most cases, but it does give me an opportunity to, to encourage someone even to it's even a supplement with respect to some discipleship conversations and strategy. How do you think about that? How should we go about considering how it relates to discipleship? I appreciate the tension and I'm right there with you. I think it is a tension uh, that we, we have to live in. You know, we, we thank God for the technological advances of the, the Roman roads that, uh, you know, led to the expansion of the gospel and then modern technology and, and medicine, you know, we're thankful for those. And at the same time, uh, with every advancement comes interruptions and comes yeah. frustrations and comes, okay, uh, I think I think life might be better without, without this. So I, I appreciate the tension. I'm with you. I try to leverage the device for good. I use it to text people that I'm praying for them. I, I love the fact that I can, I can jump on a call right now and connect with one of our missionaries in Southeast Asia. And that's not difficult or costly for me to do the way it was in the past. I think you're right to notice that tension. And, and I think every, every Christian with a digital device is feeling it. Hmm. You mentioned the, the soccer mom earlier. Yeah. You're absolutely right. You know, the man who misses his son score a goal in the game because he, he's looking down at his phone. He's not yeah. exercising digital dominion. Yeah, that's good. You know? But what if the, the person on the other end of the phone is his aging dad in another state? Mm -hmm. Well, there's the tension. Yeah. You know, sh should he be watching his son play, or or should he be giving his dad uh, dad's message? These that that's just that's the tension that we live in. I think you're you're asking the right question. I think you're feeling the right tension, and even pastorally, these are the waters we swim in. We're shepherding in a digital age. Yeah, you know, to to add to what you were saying earlier, you were saying at Southeastern we talk about every classroom a Great Commission classroom. Well. What about our devices? Are they great commission devices? Are we utilizing them as such? And ties in well to your questions. And I think it forces us to consider the other great of scripture with the great commandment. How are we 
not being controlled by these devices, but rather leveraging these devices in such a way as to more maximally love God and love other people, which means to your great illustration about the soccer game, it may actually be the greatest expression for God love and neighbor love at times, even during your child's soccer game, to make sure that your aging parents are okay or to deal with an emergency with them. But it's also in many cases that you turn it off in those times so that you don't miss your kids score the winning goal. Um, and that's is, is that a fair way to think about that, Jeff, where we, we have to let our decisions and even have the self-control with respect to our devices, let it be governed by love for God, love for neighbor and informed by Great Commission. I, I think that's right on. I think that's right on. I think we're navigating those tensions. I think the Great Commandment, Great Commission is a, a helpful tool to, as far as to, to think through a helpful kind of North Star. Am I being yeah. obedient to, to this? We've got it set up on our phone where we can text pictures to a certain address and they will come up on my wife's grandfather's picture frame. That's fantastic. You know, and he's in New Jersey. He's, he's uh, 101 you know, and he loves it. He loves it. So now he can see his great grandkids, you yeah. know, um, in these ways. That's wonderful. But if I'm always looking at life through the screen and I'm always thinking, okay, am I simply mediating this to another person? Then I'm, I'm not honoring God with, yeah. with where he's, he's put me. So, all right, Jeff. So put your, put your pastor hat on, put your parent counseling hat on for a second. Talk to me and to many others who are listening I've got a 15-year-old and a 12-year-old. I have two other younger than them. But the real conversation in our house right this second is the 12-year-old wants to know when he gets his phone. A mm. 15-year-old got a phone uh, a couple of years ago. And especially the kind of things that begin to pressure that for us was playing volleyball and it practices and needs to be able to communicate with us for drop-off, pick-up time, that kind of stuff. Well, now my son, who's was 12, about to be 13, moving into that same season of life. And so we're always wrestling with, okay, is this, uh, is this the time? Is, is this becoming sort of this cultural rite of passage that there is a particular age, you know, a bar mitzvah, so to speak, for, for, for Christian kids? Yeah, yeah. And that this is part of when you get your device? Or how do you think about that? When do you give it to children? When do you, do you do it with limitations? When do you do it? How do we do it? Give me some counsel on that. Well, Benjamin, I am right there with you. We have a 15-year-old and a 12-year-old, two sons. And I, so when I say right there with you, I mean right there yeah. with you. And, and my wife and I are having the same conversation. Last night, we were talking to a fellow parent. Hey, I think we need to get another phone. Uh, you know, what, what are we? So I, I'm not an I'll expert. I'll be honest with you, Jeff. I'm, want, I'm, I'm wanting you to tell me why I shouldn't buy another phone. But do you just give me wise counsel? I'm, I'm oh, I, I, can, I can give you a hundred reasons why you shouldn't, right? <laughs> I, mean, I, don't, I don't think that's, that's too difficult. I, I think the, the, the question is a question of maturity, right? Mm -hmm. are, are they mature enough to, to handle this device? Now, that doesn't mean that when we give it to them, we give it to them without restrictions and there's no... Um, they can find anything at any time from anyone, you know, yeah. no, I'm not giving my 15 year old that kind of access. He doesn't need it. And, and, and that, that would be bad discipleship. I want to help him develop that self-control. And, and I know you guys had, um, uh, Dr. Barrett, uh, do a podcast episode recently on, on the science of self-control and there, he, he offered a lot of helpful thoughts. He pointed to, in that episode, he pointed to a book by Andy Crouch, um, the TechWise family. That provides some really helpful resources. The question is, what's the proper place of technology? And when I'm looking at my 15-year-old, my 12-year-old, okay, can you handle it? And can, can I help you walk into these waters in, in a, a healthy way? And whether it's a cell phone 
or whether it's um, internet connectivity at your house, or for us, it's a Nintendo Switch. Mm, yeah. I mean, that's, that's kind of our device of, you know, all right, man, how many hours do you use it on that Switch? So let's check yeah. this thing. Let's, hold on, let's, let's, let's peel back. Uh, so yeah, I, I, think, I think we've got a wonderful opportunity in parenthood. Yeah. And in a digital age, we've got some unique challenges as well. Yeah, Jeff, it's so helpful. The, I love the way you bring that back to maturity and discipleship because that's, I mean, that's not just about the people we're discipling in our churches or in our workplaces or whatever, but this is our own families. And it's really, really wise counsel. Tell me this as we come to a close here. So this season of our podcast, we're giving a lot of attention to spiritual formation. How does, how does this digital practice discussion inform spiritual formation uh, in our own lives? That's a great question. I think it's important to remember that, that God's normal means of grace will always do the best work of spiritual formation. So Bible intake, prayer, regular community in a local church, these, these are the ways God intends for his people to grow. So our devices cannot replace those, right? Not, not at all. They might be able to foster some of them, so, for example, Bible intake, we can download apps that will read the word to us while we drive. They will help us uh, track our Bible reading. Um, now, personally, I'm, I'm not a fan of, of reading my Bible on my phone. Sure, yeah. uh, you know, it's, it's, it's a nice app to have. It's helpful in some conversations. But like my daily Bible reading is an ESV readers Bible. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm not, I'm not doing it digitally. When I go to church on a Sunday morning, I'm not using my phone as, as my Bible. Yeah. Um, prayer, our, our, our devices can prompt us to pray. I've yeah. got a good friend who every morning at 10.02, an alarm goes off and he's reminded to pray Luke 10.2 that, that the Lord would send labors into the harvest. It's mm-hmm. a, a yeah. simple, practical prompt to pray. Um, we even think about how our digital devices can um, encourage and build relationships in our local churches. Yeah. Right. Like you mentioned, I'm, I'm going to I've been praying for this guy. I'm going to text him this morning. Yeah. Uh, imagine if every church member said, you know what, I'm going to text three people today that I'm praying for him and I'm, yeah. I'm going to pray for him. Man, what great. a gift that would be to the to the, the local church. Um, I think there's one final question we can ask in, in terms of this spiritual formation question, and, and this is not in the book, but it's one I've been wrestling with and thinking through recently. Do your digital devices make you difficult to disciple? Hmm. Hmm. I, do, do, they, do they make me more receptive to discipling efforts, or do they make me more difficult to disciple? I, I think that's that's how we're wrestling with this question of spiritual formation when it comes to our digital devices. Is the difficulty, is it because we're so distracted? Is that the main thing? I think distraction is a part of it. I think comparison is a part of it. Yeah. Uh, social media, the, the waters are poisoned, right? Mm-hmm. So when we jump into those waters, um, we, we learn real quick that, that it's, it's not, not healthy. Um, I, I think we, it, it has shaped us to have perhaps unrealistic expectations of others and of ourselves. Uh, but at the same time, it has also opened us up to a world of possibility for God's good purposes. Yeah. And so I, I, I'm, I'm a tech optimist, as Tony Ranke uses the word. Uh, I want to, I, I believe that God is at work in the tech world, and that he's using even our digital devices, even the ones I don't like so much uh, for his good purposes. 
Chef, this is super helpful. Feels like just the beginning of a much longer needed conversation. So with that, let me just remind our listeners, uh, the title of your book, again, is Digital Dominion, Five Questions Christians Should Ask to Take Control of Their Digital Devices. Uh, people can get that on Amazon. Where else should they look for that, Jeff? And how can they follow your work every day? Yep, they can uh, they can get it on Amazon. It's available for pre-order as we're recording this. It's currently available uh, for order, and they're shipping from 10ofthose.com. And when you order from 10 of those, they'll also send you the ebook for free. So for what oh, that's, that's yeah, neat, neat little, neat little perk from 10 of those. Um, I'm active on social media. And so that's mostly where you can follow me at Jeff, J-E-F-F, Mingi, M-I-N-G-E-E. Fantastic. Jeff, thank you for being with us today. All the best in your work. And thanks for writing this book. I'm, I'm going to chew on this conversation now for a good little bit. Benjamin, thanks so much for having me. I love the work you guys do there at the center. And the podcast is such a gift to God's people. Thank you, brother. Now it's time for On My Bookshelf, that part of our show where professors at Southeastern share what they're reading right now. And our first is Dr. Chuck Lawless, a beloved faculty member on campus. He reads a lot. He writes a lot. He preaches a lot. He tweets a lot, Nathaniel. I think he's on social media quite a bit. Dr. Lawless, tell us, what is on your bookshelf? I am reading right now a book that I read every year as we begin a new semester, and it's Michael Card. Uh, The title of the book is The Walk, subtitled The Life-Changing Journey of Two Friends. It's the story of Michael Card, the Christian musician, uh, and his mentoring relationship with his New Testament professor, Dr. Bill Lane, Uh, who wrote a commentary on Hebrews and other things uh, when Dr. Lane taught at Western Kentucky University. And it really is the story of how a professor invests in a student's life, and that investment goes far beyond just the years of undergraduate study that that really lasted the rest of Dr. Lane's life, who who passed away from cancer. Uh, And it's just a fascinating, simple read. You can see just by looking. I, I wear this book out because... It's a reminder to me that even in a semester, if we can invest in a student's life, who knows what kind of difference we can, we can make in their lives. One more time, the name of the book. The name of the book is The Walk by Michael Card, C-A-R-D. Hey, thanks for listening to today's episode of Christ and Culture. If you enjoyed the content, give us a five-star rating and a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcast. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time.